Who am I? Am I what I do? An artist? An accountant? A teacher? A mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student? An MVP? A winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint? A sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things? None of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I'll always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me His child. He says I am wise and restored, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me His masterpiece. I am loved by God. He says I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus, my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question, who am I? It's good to see I'm Bill Reese, the pastor of Encounter. Welcome to Who I Am in Christ. Anchor number four, let's get anchor number four up on the screen. It says, realize who I am in Christ and reject the lie that I am my character defects and sins. 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. I love that scripture. You know, when I think about the pets that I've had in my life, one thing is for sure, most of them had no idea who they were. I mean, think about it. Dogs are our best friends. Cats make us miserable. Yet we can't live without them, right? I spoke to someone uh, this past week who actually lost a dog, and she was grieving, and rightfully so, because as most of you can agree, we love our pets. A lot of us love our pets to the degree we love them like someone in our family. And so, but have you noticed that most pets have no idea who they are? I mean, the first night you bring a puppy home, and that pup is thinking, well, I'll just jump in bed with mommy and daddy, right? And they, they think they, and so if they, my wife, okay, we have slept with many dogs in our beds, okay? Because our pets would have my wife wrapped around her finger, okay? And because they're the newest child in the family. I mean, the first night you grill a steak, they're thinking, where's mine, right? And then the first time you leave them in the house, they're thinking, you're not leaving me at home, are you? And next thing you know, you got to buy a new couch, and the problem with, with pets are is that when they start thinking that they're people, it just screws everything up, right? I mean, they, they really do. I mean, growing up, I got to tell you, I've had some of the weirdest pets in the world. They had, I had a poodle, a black poodle named Andre, okay, who thought he was a bull. Have you ever seen this before? Andre would huff and puff, kick his back legs like that, and he would just charge anything that was red. Okay, so I would come down with a red blanket, and he would, he would be on the corner of a New York City block and just charge that thing because he thought he was a bull, okay? And I would always put that thing in front of a wall, okay? I don't know how he lived, but, uh, but he was just out there, and he had no idea. who I don't even know how that dog survived. I had a cat 
My cat's name was Abby Normal, okay, from Young Frankenstein, right? Trust me, that cat had no idea who she was. I actually had a pet piranha in the Bronx, okay, not legal, but a pet piranha named Bob. That was the name of my pet piranha. The fish had no idea it was a piranha. It would never eat any fish in front of you because he was shy. Can you imagine? Only I could buy the only shy pet piranha. You shut the lights out, all the goldfish were gone. Open up the lights, he stands in the corner as if, you know, I don't want to see anybody. Okay? I mean, that was, that was my pet piranha named Bob. Okay, so my stepdad from Italy, who was a chef, accidentally killed Bob by feeding him scungili. Okay? Ironically, Bob exploded into pieces because he, he couldn't eat the squid. Okay? And so I had a friend of mine named Frankie D. Lived in New York City. He had a cat, and he named his cat Aspetta. Okay? Now, Aspetta in, in Italian means wait. Aspetta, wait. That's what Aspetta means. And so they named their cat Aspetta. So whatever they called the cat, the cat was so confused, it didn't know whether it was coming or going. Aspetta, what do I do? I don't know where I'm coming. I don't know where I'm staying. The cat never made it out of the litter box. The cat had no idea who he was. We had a Weimariner, a 110-pound Weimariner dog named Elvis Marvin Gaye Ledbetter. Okay, my wife loved this dog, okay? Uh, and there was no way this dog thought he was a dog. Uh, I actually taught Elvis how to howl, I love you. He would just go, I love you. He would just do that. It was just, it was just the craziest thing in the world. We didn't know who Elvis, you, you know, thought he was. We had no idea. He obviously, he obviously thought he was a person. And if you visited the house, because Elvis was at a certain level of your anatomy, you would know it when you came to visit at our house. Now, when Carolyn left for work, this dog went nuts. He couldn't stand to be away from Carolyn. One time he ran away when we lived in Kentucky and wound up by the Tennessee border, and we were convinced that he was making his way back to Graceland because his name was Elvis. Don't look at me. My wife, Carolyn, posted signs in the neighborhood that said, have you seen this dog? Goes by the name of Elvis. Return to sender. Okay? <laughs> Those are signs that my wife posted all throughout the neighborhood. Now, I don't blame all my pets for all of this because I believe that we contributed to their identity crisis. And what I've discovered is that it's much easier for people like me and you to never know what our real identities are most people go through an entire lifetime and have no idea who they really are. And it is so common for us to have our parents and the people we grew up with shape our identities in negative and even confusing ways. It's so common for us to never know who we are, what our purpose is, and where we're headed. It's so common for us to have our identities stolen from us and never recover from that type of identity theft. It's so common for us to never know who we are in Christ and actually live that out. It's so common for us to be fooled by the enemy, thinking that our identity is what we do, what we don't do, or what's been done to us. It's so common for us when someone asks who you are, you go right to your profession, you go right to your failure, or you go right to your sin. And it's so common when we don't know who we are in Christ to look for acceptance, security, significance in all the wrong places, people, and things, therefore creating an identity crisis that most people never recover from. 
It's so common for the majority of Christ followers to never know that their identity has been under attack the moment they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, therefore never ever experiencing victory, walking in the authority and identity that Christ has given you. According to 2 Corinthians 5.17, a real transaction has taken place. You were made new. You were forgiven. You were given a new nature. And you now have a new identity. You are a different person. And you no longer are the same. You may not feel different, but you are different. You may not feel forgiven, but you are forgiven. You are born again, and you are no longer defined by what you do, what you did, and what has been done to you. You are now defined by who God calls you, period. No matter what God, no matter what people say, no matter what your emotions say, no matter what your feelings say, no matter what your past tells you, God calls you someone different than who you call yourself. God's desire is for us to walk in that new and true identity and see ourselves as he sees us. God's desire is for you to be accepted, secure, and know your significance in Christ, in your new identity. This new identity is one of the benefits we inherited when we trust in the finished work of Christ that we learned about last week. Our lives should be a reflection of what Christ did on the cross for us. God is God is who he says he is, and we are now who he says we are. If we are to do what he says we can do, it can only be done through his power and in this new identity that he has given us. God doesn't want us to spend the rest of our lives trying to become somebody we already are. He wants us to know who we are today so we can walk in that new and true identity. If you don't know who you are, you'll never know what your purpose is, and you'll never know where you're headed. Your identity will make your purpose and where you're going crystal clear as you live in your new and true identity in Christ. So many Christ followers are wandering around, don't know where they're going because they're getting their identity attacking, attacked in ways they don't even know. It's under attack 24 by 7. People get fooled every day. You're getting fooled every single day, never being able to answer the question, who are you? Who are you? You know, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I used to be a classic 70s rock guy. I, did, I loved all the classic rock bands. I mean, uh, for me, it was always Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, The Stones, The Who. Those are my favorite bands. Rock music used to be my escape, my number one medication. And used to, I, I used to, I, that's all I ever listened to years ago. So, I mean, you got any Floyd fans? Anybody listen to Pink Floyd? Of course, by letting us know which bands you listen to, you're letting us know what drugs you did as well, too. So, <laughs> seriously, how many of you listen to The Dark Side of the Moon while watching The Wizard of Oz? Yeah, you're not going back to Kansas anymore. Take it easy. Okay, we're at Encounter, okay? Easy now. How about Zeppelin? And he's, and he's, and he, okay. When you see him 17 times, I think it qualifies you. Uh, because I, that was my band. I used to, and I, if those that knew me growing up in East Harlem would tell you that that I was crazy about Led Zeppelin. Five days a week, I would wear an orange T-shirt that, 
it was a Houses of the Holy <laughs> t-shirt. I'm so glad I'm really in the House of the Holy right now. <laughs> that really wasn't the Houses of the Holy, trust me. But I would wear that five days a week. Those that knew me knew I could play basketball, and I, was, I used to think I was Zeppelin's number one fan. That was my identity. I was just, you know, how about the Stones? Seriously, I heard the other day that they really are. It's not a joke. Okay, they really are rehearsing for another tour. It's a European, it's a European leg. So rehearsals consist of adrenaline, having defibrillator pacemakers installed so they can never flatline. Okay, and up to this point, the only song that they can sing is Start Me Up. Okay, <laughs> so, and so I, I love their promotional company, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus Promotions. It's really good. So how about The Who? Anybody, any Who fans? I've seen them several times. And my two favorite songs from The Who are Who Are You and We Won't Get Fooled Again. I find it interesting that the title, not the lyrics, not the lyrics, the title of the two biggest songs would describe a, point, a turning point for me in my walk with Christ. See, understanding who I was and never, ever, ever getting fooled again by the lies that I believed to be true that told me who I was for years was my first spiritual breakthrough. I like to call it my first aha moment when I started walking with God. See, when you decide to follow Jesus and make him the Lord and leader of your life, something really miraculous happens. I mean, you really are made new. You get a new mind. You get a new heart with new and right desires. You get a new nature. You get new names. You get new titles. And you get a new identity. Anyone belongs to Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And the last thing the enemy wants you to know is who you really are in that new and true identity. And that a real transaction took place. Something real happened. Something changed when you had an encounter at the cross. Something was nailed to death at the cross. Your old life was crucified and a new life was resurrected in you, whether you feel it or not. That's what really happened. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says in Romans 6, 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. This was a decisive and definitive act in the believer's past. In Colossians 3, 7 through 10, Paul tells believers to stop living like you used to. Stop living the way you did in your past lives. Since you've taken off the old self, the things you used to do with its practices and have put on the new self. Here's what, he used to, here's what he said. He said, you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. Notice that he's talking about two lives here. He says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self, pre-Christ, with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Paul makes a similar point in Ephesians 4, when he says, you were taught with regard, here it is, two lies he's talking about, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, you got to put it on every day. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Which righteousness? 
You know what that means? It's just doing the right thing. That's what it is. It means being holy because God's holy. And God declares you holy. Romans 6, 6 and Colossians 3, Paul clearly teaches a definitive past action that actually occurred. The moment we were born again, the moment we trusted in Jesus Christ, the moment we came to the cross. But in Ephesians 4, he's talking about something different. Paul tells us to apply a continuous action on our part to stop doing the things we did before we were saved. The old self was crucified with Christ, but as followers, we have to do our part in putting off the old self and put on the new self. We have to do it every day. Paul is not telling us to do for ourselves what Christ has already done. Paul is saying that we are new people in Christ who must become in practice what God has already declared us to be. Paul is saying that we are new people in Christ, if you're writing on your notes, who must become in practice what God has already declared us to be. We have to have the resolve not to let our former way of life get in the way of who we now are. In Galatians 3.27, he says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. The phrase clothe yourselves is the same phrase translated put on. You have to put on that he's talking about. Yeah, and what he's talking about is that you have, you have to put on Christ. You know, six days a week, I wear something that says something about Kentucky, the University of Kentucky. I want people to know that I love the University of Kentucky. But every day, I have to put on Christ. I've got to dress myself with Christ. To clothe oneself or to put on a person, what this means is when I put on Christ, it means I take on the characteristic of Christ. I'm more like Christ today, a little bit more today than I was yesterday. I want to walk like Jesus. I want to talk like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. I want to forgive like Jesus. I want to think like Jesus. I want to pray like Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans 13, 14, to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. As believers, we're not trying to become children of God. We already are children of God. Children who are in the process of becoming like Jesus. Does that make sense? See, the more you reaffirm who you are in Christ, the more your behavior will begin to reflect your real identity. You may not even realize this, but there is a spiritual war going on over your identity. The enemy spends most of his time taking what God created for good, which is you and you and you. And he perverts it. He distorts it. And ultimately, he tries to destroy it. The enemy knows if he can keep you from being you, the person God made you to be, if he can hide or distort your true identity in Christ, if he can hinder what God intended for you to be, then he has succeeded in creating an identity crisis that will keep you in chaos and eventually wreck your life. Well, how does he do this? Well, he uses a lot of different tools. He uses hurts, disappointments, relational pain, to deceive you and to disguise your real identity. Because if he can get you to be resentful, if he can get you to stay bitter, if he can get you overwhelmed with guilt, shame, regrets, 
then he knows you're going to miss your true identity because you're so obsessed with all those things. You can't shake them off your life. And this is a huge issue because unresolved pain and resentments, they create character defects. And a lot of people think that because they have a certain tendency, a certain lust, a certain attraction, a certain fault, a certain habit, then that's who they are. And this is how the enemy deceives us and keeps us stuck. See, our identity sort of gets messed up because we have identified ourselves with a particular way of thinking, a particular behavior, a particular way of attracting, desiring, lusting, whatever. See, the world often tells us that the first step of facing our denial is to admit that we have a problem. There's a measure of truth to that, but don't be fooled into thinking that you are your problem. They may tell you to introduce yourself by identifying your problem, by introducing yourself by your problem, by saying, hi, my name is John, and I'm a drug addict. That may sound like you're admitting that you have a problem, but it's also self-defeating, and it has the potential to become a self-fulfilling prophecy that you'll never kick in your life. The misconception is, is that you are your sins, that you are what you do, and that your bad habits are your identity. But I want to tell you today, from the authority of God's word, you are not your defects. You are not your faults. You are not your sins. They may be something you have done. They may be something that you might be still doing, but they are not your identity. They are not who you are. And the last thing the enemy wants you to know is who you really are in that new and true identity. Because if you really believed what God says about you, well, you might just start living that way. For example, if you really believed that you were forgiven, you wouldn't walk around with all that guilt and shame. If you really believe that you're accepted by God, you wouldn't look for acceptance from other people. If you really, would be, if you really are secure, if you really believed you are secure, you wouldn't be so consumed with the things of this world. If you really believed you're significant in Christ, you would live your life with confidence and not give in to codependent behaviors. If you really believe you have the mind of Christ, you know what will happen? You'll start thinking like Christ. You'll start taking your thoughts captive more. And you'll be able to resist temptations more because you believe you have the mind of Christ. If you don't believe you have the mind of Christ, you'll fail in those areas, which are key essential spiritual disciplines that every follower of Christ has to exercise and mature in if you're going to have victory in your life. If you really believe that God himself lives in you, you wouldn't feel so all alone. And you would let him guide your life more. If you really believe that God calls you holy, redeemed, sanctified, perfect, justified, his friend, highly loved, highly favored, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, complete, free from condemnation, the object of his affection, a saint, his daughter, his son. If you really believe that, you would actually start living that way. The enemy tells you that you are a sinner because you sin. God calls believers saints, declared righteous by God. A believer, don't miss this, a believer is a saint who still sins. Hopefully sins less and less. Sinning is something you may still do, but that sin is not who you are. It's not your identity. When you, now, 
When you see the words sinners and saints in the Bible, they are identity statements. Listen very carefully. A sinner refers to someone who's not a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus are referred to as saints. These are identities, not behaviors. So next time you see the word sinner, don't look at, don't associate yourself with that behavior. You're either a follower of Christ or you're not. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a saint. If you're not a follower of Christ, you're a sinner. Now listen, we are not sinners saved by grace. We were sinners that were saved by grace. We are now saints that still sin who still need his grace. Does that make sense? See, the enemy will convince you that your identity comes from what you do. God says your identity comes from what he's already done for you. You are the person he calls you. Not who the world calls you or who you even call yourself. See, the world will tell you to follow your feelings. The world will tell you to follow your desires. God tells you to follow him through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and his word. The world will tell you that you are born a certain way, opposite of God's creation and plan for your life. God says he knew you before you were born and personally handcrafted you into existence made into the image of God. That's what God says. Your parents may have identified you as a mistake or may have even made the statement to you that you weren't even planned. But God said, I determined when you would be born. And I took the time to write a plan for your life filled with a hope, filled with a future of you discovering what it means to be my child and live under the titles and names that I have ordained for you. Listen to the world. You won't have a clue to who you are. Listen to your feelings, emotions, attractions, and desires. You'll never know who you are. Believe who you are in Christ and start living like that. That's the abundant life that Christ died for. That's the only way to live. And the only way you can have that life is to die in Christ, surrender to Christ, be resurrected in Christ, and live in that new and true identity in Christ because that's the only life. And that's what Christ wants for you. Tragically, many Christians will spend an entire lifetime trying to become somebody they already are. If you're a follower of Jesus, God does God doesn't say you have to wait to become the person you are today. He declares emphatically that this is your identity in Christ. You are who God says you are, even if you don't think you are. And when you start believing who you really are, then you'll know what your real identity in Christ is. Then you'll know the truth that sets you free. Now, maybe the biggest obstacle to knowing our true identity in Christ is the fact that we do look for acceptance, security, and significance in all the wrong places. And those are actually the three basic psychological needs of every person, acceptance, security, and significance. And when we look for those things in other people, in this world, through ourselves and our individual accomplishments, we have an identity crisis. You'll have an identity crisis. And I'm not sure if you know this, but there are close to 140 scriptures in the New Testament that validate our acceptance, security, and significance in Christ. It's important for you to know those scriptures, especially acceptance. Now, have you noticed how silly we look when we don't look for acceptance from Christ and Christ alone? Check this out. 
look around you. Everybody's just walking around. <laughs> Taking a photo of yourself? They call it a selfie. I can't even say the word without sweating. I can't stand the word. I call it taking a lonely. <laughs> Do you know how alone you gotta be? That you can't find anybody to take a photo? That you got 838 photos of yourself in your bathroom? What are you doing? What are you doing? Now, the following verses validate our acceptance in Christ. You're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? John 1, 12. I love this scripture. Those that believed and received him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. John 1, 12 says, I am God's child. When's the last time you told yourself you were a child of God? When's the last time you actually believed that you're God's child? John 15, 15. I'm a friend of Christ. When was the last time you told yourself, I'm a friend of Christ? He's my friend. A friend that will never leave me. Romans 5.1, I've been justified before God by Christ. Justified. You know what justified means? It means just as if you've never sinned. It means, it means you're justified. You're declared righteous. 1 Corinthians 6.20, I've been bought with a price. I belong to God. When was the last time you just actually said that? I belong to God. He belongs to me. Ephesians 1.1, here it is. I'm a saint. I am a saint. Ephesians 1.4, I am holy and blameless in his sight. Holy and blameless. Ephesians 2.18, I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.14, I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. Colossians 2.10, everybody, I am complete. I'm complete in Christ. I'm complete. Well, ain't nobody going to complete you but God, because God declares you complete. You're the perfect package. You got it all together because God made you in his image. This is where your identity starts, by realizing that you're accepted by God in Christ. If you don't know that you're accepted, then your default reaction will be rejection. You're either accepted or rejected, and you are accepted in Christ. You're either loved or you're not loved, and you are loved in Christ. You are loved and accepted by God no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you. There is something built into every person and that is the deep desire for every single one of us to be deeply loved and to be deeply accepted. When you really believe that your Father in heaven loves you, that he really loves you, and you respond to that love and acceptance with a grateful heart that's willing to follow God, obey God, then most of your negative emotional baggage is going to just fade away. 
Your negative emotional baggage will never, ever go away until you finally come to the place in your life when you know that you're accepted and loved by your Father in heaven. It's an exclusive place of being loved. See, when you know that you're loved and accepted, you can move into great neighborhoods that people never, ever could live in. It's a place of royalty. It's a place of richness. It's a place of tranquility. The Neighborhood Association sees people through the eyes of Jesus, loves people with his heart. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that I moved there some time ago. See, I moved into the neighborhood of I could care less what other people think about me because I'm loved and accepted by my Father in heaven. So I used to live in the courtyard of codependency. Before that, the high rise of rejection. And before that, I used to live in the luxury homes of loneliness. Now I live in Castaic, California. Okay? But in Christ, I am loved and accepted, and I could care less what other people think about me because I don't live for the approval of other people. I live because I'm an approved workman of God who is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm a king's kid. I am loved. I'm highly favored. I'm a royal priesthood, a holy generation, and I am, I am, I am an heir to the throne. I sit at the right hand of the Father next to Jesus Christ who, who gives me a footstool where I can lay my feet where he makes a footstool of my enemies. God takes care of all my needs. But you got to know that you are loved. I am loved and accepted by my daddy in heaven. And at the end of the day, that's all that counts. The following verses support the validity of our security in Christ. Romans 8.1, I am free forever from condemnation. Romans 8.33, I am free from condemning charges against me. I'm sure you've heard enough of those. You're not good enough. Romans 8.39, I can never be separated from the love of God. Nothing could ever separate me from the love of God. There's nothing that could happen. There's nothing you can do. There's no event in this world that could ever separate you from the love of God. 2 Corinthians 1.21-22, I stand firm in Christ and have been established and anointed and sealed by God. Colossians 3.3, I am hidden with Christ. Philippians 3.20, I'm a citizen of heaven. I belong to that neighborhood association. That's my eternal home. This is not my home. This is not your home. I'm a citizen of heaven. See, your security is not found in your career. It's not found in your marriage. It's not found in your ministry. Certainly not from someone else. Your security is found in Christ and Christ alone. Your security is not found in a 401k retirement savings plan, but in an Ephesians 2.8 saved by grace God plan. Your security is found in Christ and Christ alone. Now significance, it's a huge deal. We all want our lives to count for something, right? The following verses tell us how significant we really are in Christ. Matthew 5, 13, 14, I'm the salt and light of the earth. John 15, 1 and 5, I'm a branch of the true vine. I'm a channel of his life. Have you ever thought about that? That you're part of his life? John 15, 16, I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit that will last. That's who you are. Acts 1, 8, you're a personal witness. 
of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm not going to talk to anybody. You're witnessing the Christ to other people about Christ, whether you think you are or not. But you are a personal witness for Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.16, I'm, I'm God's temple. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.19, you're a minister of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 6.1, you're God's co-worker. 2 Corinthians 5.20, you're an ambassador for Christ. 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Ephesians 2.6, I'm seated with Jesus. You're seated with Jesus. There's a throne. You get to see, you get to sit with him. Just think about that. Ephesians 2.10, I am God's workmanship, appointed to do good works, which he prepared in advance for me to do. Ephesians 3.12, I may approach God with freedom and confidence. You can go to God anytime, any place, anywhere, with freedom and confidence. You don't go to God based on what you do or, or don't do. You go to God based on what he did for you. And you go to God based on the authority and the identity and the labels that he's given you. And if he's given you the identity that you can approach him with freedom and confidence, you should be knocking on his door every single day. Significance is found when you get on the kingdom-minded, kingdom-guided pathway where you're all about building and advancing the kingdom of heaven. You're all about God's business. Again, if you study the life of Jesus... All he ever talked about was doing his father's will. I'm all about my father's business. I'm all about doing what the father tells me to do. I don't do nothing unless I hear from the father. I don't do nothing outside my father. And when you get on that plan where you're all about the father's business, when our lives become consumed with living out the father's business, there's nothing more significant than that. There's nothing more significant than waiting through those front doors and waiting for a newcomer to come in and you greeting them at a table and saying, welcome to freedom. Welcome home. Welcome back. Welcome to your encounter family. That's what it means to be in the, about the Father's business. You matter to God. You are significant in Christ. You're a child of God. So let's read this last scripture out loud. It's up on the screens, 1 John 3, 1. It says this, see what great love, come on, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is who we are. See, so many people, they just don't believe that. So many people are being swallowed up alive because they have no idea who they are. I came across a poem from a 14-year-old girl named Tamara that just broke my heart earlier this afternoon. And she wrote a poem titled, I Am Who I Am. And here's what she wrote. I'm not myself. I'm not who you want me to be. I'm not who I want to be. I am who I am. I'm sad most of the time. I'm not suicidal, but I'm not breathing life. I smile to look happy. I'm such a good actor that no one notices. Sometimes I wish they could. I don't want attention, but I want people to know that I'm sad. I'm not one for crying, but lately it's all I want to do. 
I go through the day in a haze, talking to people as if I'm happy. I laugh at their jokes. When they ask me if I'm okay, I just smile and say yes, wishing I could say no. I'm not myself, but I am who I am, myself. I stopped and prayed for Tamara today that she would find her identity in Christ. Even finding the ministry of encounter. I said, God, you could make her find us. You could get us to her. As I was thinking about how God could do something miraculous like that to reach this little girl's heart, hope started to fill my heart. As I thought about all the anchors of hope, that we've been learning to live out over the past several weeks. If you take each and every one of the first four anchors, they could be summarized very simply by this. Anchor number one, I am not well and I am not God. Anchor number two, the great I am loves me and I can't, but the great I am can restore hope and healing. Anchor number three, surrender my life to the great I am. Anchor number four, I am who the great I am says I am, whether I think I am or not, because the great I am declares I am in Christ. My name is child of the one true king, and I am who I am. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that our identity doesn't come from our mistakes. That our identity is not our past. Our identity is not our sins. Our identity is not even our professions. Our identity is who we are in Christ. We are children of the one true King. We're secure, we're accepted, we're significant, we're forgiven. We once were not a people, but now we are the people of God. We once were not forgiven, but now we are forgiven. We once didn't have an identity, but now we have an identity. Our identity is Jesus Christ. In Christ, living for Christ, each and every day. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Father, don't let the enemy steal our identity. Don't let the enemy confuse our identity. Remind us who we are in Christ and help us by your grace to put on the new self in that new and true identity each and every day so we can walk in your love and walk in that victory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.